You are listening to College Success Habits with Jesse Mogul, episode 120. Let's get to the show. Oh, this show's the best. The best show. Best show. Best show ever. Welcome to the College Success Habits podcast. Do you want to triumph through school and have a little fun along the way? Learn habits to help you attain better productivity and hacks to help you slide through classes at any age. Here's your host, college circuit speaker, Jesse Mogul. Welcome back to College Success Habits. I am your host, Jesse Mogul, and as always, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here for the next 30 minutes. How is your holiday season going? Regardless of your religion, there's a lot of holiday celebrations happening in the month of December. So if you're listening to this linearly, then Merry Christmas and Happy Hanukkah and Happy Kwanzaa and um, the many others I am probably forgetting. So happy holidays to all of it. And if you're listening to this in the archives, then happy Wednesday. Otherwise, semester is nearing its end. Finals should be happening for most, if not already accomplished. Um, I feel like it's probably finished up last week. Um, but I've still been getting some messages that there's still some people finishing up their semester. And with Christmas fast approaching, for those who celebrate that, um, you will be surely enjoying friends and family and possibly coming back into a emotional situation that you have not experienced for quite some time. On top of that, we've got New Year's rolling around. And while I've been talking a lot in my other show, From Sobriety to Recovery, about how we actually can start the new year on December 1st, and then we end the old year on February 1st, so we give ourselves a 60-day window to close up one year and to start another. And this is really, the theory behind it is that we put a lot of pressure on ourselves to make massive changes in our lives on January 1st. A lot of people have these resolutions, I'll start it next year, I'll start it next year, I'll start it next year. I encourage you to start it now and start to realize that any day of the week of the year of entire life, you could just decide, okay, today is the day I start to make this change and I will give myself 30 days till the midway point. I'll make that my happy new year moment. And then I give myself 30 more days to solidify the new behavior into my life. It's very much going accordance with my belief that it takes 21 days ish ish is the most important part of that 21 days ish to uh, create or break an old habit in 90 days to create a lifestyle. So you start to work on something over the course of 30, 60, 90 days, you'll see massive changes in your life. I can assure you this works. I've seen hundreds of people in my tribe, thousands of people who've attended my conferences and speeches and presentations be able to embrace this and achieve what it is they desire by focusing on not immediate results, but more of the immediate steps that you can be taking in order to achieve these massive changes and goals and tasks in your life. I mean, that's like college. You don't just go to college for one day, take a bunch of classes, do a test, and then they hand you a degree. It's four years, five years, six years or more, depending on what you're looking to do with your life, of hard work that pushes you towards what it is you ultimately desire in your life. And when we can embrace this idea that if things begin to happen too fast or if something's a little too easy, then we don't really appreciate it, right? The benefit without the struggle means that you don't appreciate the benefit, 
right? You, if you're one of those people who want the result without the work, there's plenty of things that you do already do in life that provide that kind of of feedback for you, right? Like it's not difficult to walk into the kitchen and open up the refrigerator. That for most people, that's a pretty easy thing to do. To have food in the refrigerator, that's completely different. It's not easy to get food into your refrigerator, right? You've got to ask the parents for money who had to go off and work for that money, or you work for your own money to, to then go to the grocery store and put things inside that refrigerator. So opening up the refrigerator, no one's celebrating that. But you absolutely can be celebrating the fact that you have food in your refrigerator, that you have worked hard enough, that you've provided for yourself in a way that means that you have things to eat when you're hungry. We can step back from just assuming that everybody has that and not worrying about the assumption of everybody having food and be more happy for ourselves for having provided that for ourselves. Adulting 101 sort of dictates that you have food in your refrigerator, but not everybody does. Not everybody even believes that. I know people in their from their 20s all the way to their 80s that will have no food in the fridge and they will eat out every meal and then they wonder why their health suffers or their bank account's lower. Well, it's because you're spending all your money on food when you could just open your refrigerator and have the resources you need right there in front of you. And that's something to be applauded when you have food in the fridge and also the ability to cook it and, and then eat it and then do the dishes and take out the garbage. I mean, these are important things, but they ultimately are small steps you take every day to becoming a much larger version of yourself, a much more uh, highest sense of self attained version of yourself where over the course of days, weeks, months, and years, this ability to get your own food and make your own food and clean up after yourself pays dividends off because your house is clean. It's organized. You're in good health. You're not putting on weight all the time because you're not eating somebody else's food loaded with butter or sodium or whatever. So as we go into this idea of who we're seeking to become, and we've talked a lot, there's been a lot of episodes rolling out the end of this year that have really been about who is it that you're becoming, right? Are you being present in your conversations with your loved ones? Are you seeking out immediate gratification or understanding that everything's a long game here? Well, are you thinking about your paradox of choices and making decisions based on how you see yourself and not how others see you? This cognitive dissonance that we have when we look in the mirror and who we think is looking back isn't the version of ourselves that we want to have in our minds that we're actually creating. Are we releasing conflict avoidance and stepping into conflict resolution, right? That's a big one because when we let things pile up on our plates and we don't think about healing our relationships, healing things within ourselves, and we avoid these, then all we're really doing is pushing something off to be dealt with later and more than likely in a much higher reactive emotional state. We discussed getting thicker skin in episode 116. Um, also, um, bullying is about them in 110, right? So if you're feeling bullied, understand that somebody else is doing that to, to do something for themselves inside themselves. It's not against you. It's for themselves. They need to feel better about themselves, so they're going to attack you. It seems like they're, they've got an issue with you, but really they have an issue within themselves. So when we discuss that in 110, and then you go over here to getting thicker skin in 116, it's by understanding not to be offended by everything that everybody says, because there's 8 billion people on this planet-ish, and the likelihood that they're all going to say things that, that jibe, that vibe with you, is, it's, it's not going to happen. 
So you, are you always going to be in conflict with people, or are you just going to accept them for who they are and say, well, that's their version of reality. They have experiences in their life that have created these experiences that cause them to have these thoughts, have these feelings, which drive their actions and create their results. The beautiful thing about this is that it just releases you from having to be randomly angry at people that you may not even know. Social media, whatever it might be, where you come across someone saying stuff, you can just scroll past it. There is a point where I feel like people feel the need to stand up against people when they say things that aren't necessarily status quo or don't don't feel good or maybe insult someone else because there's this idea that, you know, help others, stand up for others, or even more, if you chunk it up even higher, it's that if this person is allowed to continue with their vitriol and on Twitter and saying ridiculous stuff, that their poison is going to infect other people. And eventually one poisonous person has a group of a thousand or 10,000 or enough to get them elected into office. And then all of a sudden their poison actually becomes the status quo. And now we've got to reverse that. And I can understand that. And we absolutely should be more mindful of it. But it's also realizing that, you know, I believe that good triumphs over evil. And what is right will triumph over what is wrong over the course of time. Things course correct themselves. So be thicker of skin and stand up and do the right thing when it's something that's within your control. But obviously be very mindful of putting the most of your attention and energy towards things that are within your control. A lot of things that people seem to be getting themselves wound up about nowadays aren't necessarily in their control. If it's a politician, then you know what? You have a chance to vote, and that is what it is. And then the person gets in, and they do what they do, and you can stand up, you can you can volunteer, you can be in organizations that try to spread a different message and let that grow, and maybe you take on the leadership role, that means that you get to be the kind of leader you want to see in the world. At some point, worrying yourself about things that are out of your control has to be put to the side in order to start taking action towards the things that you can control. And if you want to make change on a massive level, whether it be your city, your state, your county, your whole country, at some point, you're going to be required to take action toward that. Otherwise, you're just sitting over there bitching and moaning or applauding somebody else's actions, which very well could turn out to be nefarious down the line and actually not be as beneficial or as harmful as you thought. But you've now given yourself weeks and months and years of stress worrying about this. And then all of a sudden it comes to a pretty good resolution. And all of that worrying and stress did nothing because you didn't really take control of what was happening in front of you in the moment to guide it that way. You just stressed out about it for years until something just miraculously happened. We see this happening in the country all the time. Certain people are happy for four years, then other people are miserable for four years, then they're happy again for four years, and the other people are miserable for four years. It's like, why are we getting miserable about what these other people are doing when what we can actually take control of and be a part of change is usually happening at a more local level? And you'll notice this happening in your fraternity house, sorority house, in your clubs, in your organizations, even in your study groups, right? You can be sitting there talking about what other people are doing, or you could actively be seeking out change in your immediate area. If there's a group in the library that's making a lot of noise, right, you can sit there and shush them all you want, but ultimately, if they're going to continue to make noise, then you just have to decide to move to a different location. 
Is it necessarily quote unquote fair or unfair that you have to move? That is a perspective that is subjective. What's more important is that you ultimately get what it is you desire in that moment. And if it's a quiet space to study and other people around you are not providing that, then relocate. It's not, well, I was, I'm here too, and they need to respect me. Yeah, everybody needs to respect everybody. At some point, respect yourself enough to know that oftentimes just removing yourself from the situation will be exactly what is necessary for you to gain what it is you desire. You want a quiet space to study and people around you aren't providing that, then go find it elsewhere. It's not you acquiescing to them and giving in and then they feel like they were bullying you and you feel like you were bullied and now all of a sudden you have to feel less than. No, feel more than by taking charge and control of what you can affect in that moment and make things happen in a way that benefits you without necessarily starting a ruckus over here about what other people are doing and they're doing it and they're doing whatever they do. In a world of infinite possibilities, the one where you just quote-unquote, be the better person and walk away is often the one that will be the most beneficial to your mental health. And that's when we stepped into leadership in episode 117 and talking about what kind of leader do you want to be? How are you being the version of a leader that you believe is the best version of a leader? And then going out and being that tenacious, driven person every single day to achieve that in your life, and thus it will benefit everyone around your area. When you set yourself up for success, right, how are you thinking ahead? How are you planning for what you can be doing? Where's your self-awareness and your emotional intelligence enough to know that, okay, this is what's happening and this is how it's affecting me. And I can't make other people change, but I can certainly affect my own change. Spending the next 30 minutes in the library yelling at people for why they're making noise when what you came there for was silence is taking away from what it is you actually went to the library to accomplish. So just move. Just decide for yourself that for your own mental health, it's better that you just change the location in your environment rather than letting yourself get fired up and then not being able to focus and not being able to work on what you actually want to be doing. And this is going to lead us to our main thesis for this episode is, who are you being while you are working on getting to where you want to go? I'm getting shivers right now, so I I know this is exactly where this podcast is supposed to be leading us. And the reason this is the topic for today is that I recently had a session with one of my clients, and what we came to was was this idea that where you're trying to go, what what you're looking to achieve, that's great. We want goals. We want to be striving toward something. And at the same time, we want to be very mindful of who we're being while we're getting there. If you have this idea that you're going to be cutthroat and you're going to step on everybody in order to get your way to the top, and then you get to the top, but you've made all of these these sort of kind of enemies, these people who have been upset or offended by the fact that you stepped on them or kicked them down the ladder, and then you get up there and say, well, now that I'm at the top, now that I'm up here, now I'll start be giving. Now I'll start to be kind. But at this entire time, you've been setting down these habits these internal motivators that have proven to yourself that if you're unkind and you're willing to just take, 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 that that's how you achieve the top, there's a very strong likelihood that your unconscious mind is not going to just want to flip the switch and immediately be more giving and loving because that's not how you achieved what it is you did in life. 
you achieved it by stepping on others and pushing them down the ladder in order to get to where you wanted to go. So your unconscious mind thinks, well, that's how I achieved greatness. If I decide to do it the opposite way, what happens if I fall from the ranks of the great back down to the ranks of the average? Because you've created this internal habit in your system that says, well, this is how I achieved it, and I did it this way, so why would you change that way? Now, not only are you looking to change your your behaviors and start to become a better person, but you're trying to break these long-held beliefs inside your mind that say the only way I achieved it was by being this person. So if I try to become this other person, perhaps I don't get to keep what I've gained. And there's going to be a very strong resistance inside of you that says, then I'm just not going to change. It reminds me of some movie I watched one time where some super ultra rich guy is sitting at a dinner table with his daughter's fiance. And this super ultra rich guy with a you know garage full of fancy cars and a house that sprawls, you know, 20,000 square feet. It was just immaculate, right? The the movie really paints a picture of this this dude's opulent wealth. And as he's sitting at this dinner table with his fiance, with his daughter's fiance, he says, you know, if I had to do it all over again when I was your age, I'd have gotten into philanthropy because I, I really love helping people now that I'm at this age and he was in his 70s. And he's sitting here talking to a 30-year-old. And I remember thinking how BS that actually is. It's really easy for you to say, get into philanthropy when you're sitting in a $25 million mansion having accomplished all the things that you have. And now, because you have this opulent wealth, you can now go off and help people. Because you're so rich, you can you have enough to give away to others. But when you're sitting there with a 30-year-old who is just wanting to put food in the refrigerator, just wanting to get their starter house, just wanting to get their first car paid off, telling that person to no longer be ambitious and strive for financial freedom and comfort, and then get into philanthropy, and volunteer more and be involved more in organizations where they don't pay is ridiculous because you can't sustain your life by giving away all your time. You have to be able to somehow bring in an income. So it's really easy for someone who's you know reached the pinnacle to say, well, if I had to do it another way, I'd give away, I'd just get into philanthropy at a younger age. Really easy for you to say as you're sitting on your stacks of cash. This guy, the entire way, could have been volunteering. He could have been giving some more of his money away as he was starting to grow it. He didn't have to wait till he was 70 to then start to pour millions and millions of dollars into the system. He could have been doing this along the way, but he chose not to because of whatever internal motivator he had, greed or comfort or freedom, whatever it might have been. This very much reminds me of uh, Carnegie, the steel Empire guy, Rockefeller, Vanderbilt, you know, uh, J.P. Morgan. You know, these are guys I, I learned a lot about in this Amazon uh, TV like documentary talking about the men who built America, and they were ruthless. They crushed their competition. They underpaid their employees. They put people in dangerous situations where their lives were at risk and often died. They stormed one of their steel mills and shot up the whole place up because these workers wanted safer conditions to work in and didn't want to necessarily be paid, you know, pennies on the dollar for how hard they were working. And then they get older, right? And, you know, within, you know, a few years of knowing that their time on this earth is limited, then they decided they're going to start pouring their money into all these civic responsibilities. Carnegie starts slapping his name on 2,000 libraries around the country, 
Rockefeller, having had his entire company dismantled uh, by the trust busters, you know, and most of these companies still exist, the Exxons and the Shells, and a lot of these companies are still out there, starts, you know, putting his name on different buildings in New York City, you know, Rockefeller Center, and it was Carnegie Hall. I mean, these places exist because these men at the latter part of their lives decided, I can't take this money with me, so I might as well hand it out. Whereas the entire course of their lives was completely against that. Who were they being while they were achieving this opulent wealth? They were being horrible business owners. They were being ruthless, cutthroat business people who demolished other people's lives in order for them to attain success. But it didn't have to be that way. If they were ultimately going to give away their billions of dollars at the end, they could have just decided to start giving it away earlier or paying people more now or being a better citizen of the planet at a younger age. And sure, they get to 70 and they don't have hundreds and hundreds of millions of dollars to give away at that stage in their life. Instead, it's just 20s and 30s and 40s of millions of dollars. But they've helped make other people's lives much more grand along the way. And now they're the tree of their fruitful philanthropy that they had been doing their entire lives stretches beyond beyond compare. And now all of these other people have better wealth and they're, they're more comfortable and these steel mill workers weren't dangerous. They didn't die leaving their families poor and destitute. I mean, you see where I'm going with this. They chose to be ruthless and cutthroat till they got to the top and as they were getting ready to leave said, mm, maybe I should leave a better legacy behind me other than destroying other people's lives and sort of in order for me to reach this opulent wealth. When they could have been these versions of their 70, 80-year-old selves in their 30s and 40s and 50s and 60s. You can learn from the mistakes of others in this regard. You can choose to start being this version of yourself that you will want to be in your 50s, 60s, and 70s. You can choose to be that version of yourself now. doesn't mean that you have to give away all the money that you make. But if that's what you want to ultimately do is give to others and be of service to others, you can find ways to begin to do that now and lead from a heart-centered direction. If you want to be more open and vulnerable in your communications with your loved ones, you don't have to wait till you're 70 years old and on your deathbed to finally open up to your parents or your kids or your family members. You can do that now and then reap the benefits of it now. I never understood the deathbed confessions. I've always loved you and you've been the most important person in my life and I should have said it to you more often. (laughs) Well, thanks, but no thanks. Great to hear that now after you've made my life, you know, after you've helped me co-create a life for the last 40 years where I was walking on eggshells around you or thought you didn't love me or thought that I mattered nothing to you. Great. So as as your final swan song, you apologize for 50 years of being an a-hole. Why don't you just not be an a-hole now? What's important to understand about this is that it's the long game that we're seeking to play here. So we realize that each day our behaviors create this version of ourselves that we internalize as who we are, and then it becomes the external version that everybody else gets to experience. If you want to be the person who's more responsible, who is known as somebody who keeps their word and shows up to things on time and follows through with their promises, don't wait till down the road when it's more convenient. Begin to do it now. If you find yourself not keeping your promises, if you find yourself committing to things that you ultimately cannot prioritize in your life, then begin to step into a version of yourself that says no now rather than having to say I'm sorry later. 
Who are you being while you are striving to become why you're in college? It's beyond me why we get ourselves into this, I'll do anything it takes to succeed. I'll do anything it takes to have the perfect Instagram life. I'll do anything it takes to be popular on social media. And then when we turn those apps off and we put our phone down, we're a completely different person. I don't post a ton on social media because honestly, I've got a lot of things going on in my life. As I start to stretch out more there, because I do see the benefits of it, I'll be very mindful of portraying who I actually am on them. It won't always be the perfect idyllic version of myself, because every day isn't perfect, nor is it ideal. I say this on my sober show, it's not sobriety that sucks, it's life that can suck sometimes. But if we're mindful and grateful for the things that are going well, Even the suck isn't as sucky as we thought it was because there's so many other things to be grateful for. Sure, today wasn't the most productive day or today wasn't the most perfect day. But when I came home and I opened up the refrigerator, the fruits of my labor were right in front of me. How hard have you been working? You can generally determine that by what it is you already have in your life. A refrigerator full of food, a bank account with a savings in it, a car that's been well kept, your body that's being well kept. Showering regularly and brushing your teeth often. You go to the dentist and you have nine cavities that should tell you something about your ability to take care of your own mouth. And then where is that behavior starting to leak out or perhaps absolutely poison other areas of your life? Oh, I'll take care of my teeth better when I have the money for it. Well, what happens if you get there and you finally have the money and now what you have to end up buying is a whole set of fake teeth because you didn't just brush them now while you were striving to become the person with the beautifulest smile. Who are you being while you are striving to get there? This cannot be stressed enough. The opportunity for you to be the best version of yourself is right in front of you every single day. Pushing it off and saying, well, I'll do it on January 1st, or I'll do it when it's more convenient. I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it then. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to look in the mirror one day, and you're going to have this cognitive dissonance because you're striving to be someone in the future, but you're not being that person now. And you think you're going to flip a switch. You think as soon as you get that degree, you're going to have work ethic. As soon as you get that degree, you're going to care about other people. But it's not going to work out as easily as you think because you will have programmed yourself along a certain behavioral trajectory this entire time. And now you're going to try to shake your needle out of this deeply woven groove into this record of your life. I'll get you out of here on this. I remember there was... a. One employee who sticks out very much for me at Bonefish, and um, Bonefish is a restaurant I used to work at in, in college. And I'll just say his first his first initial was R, and he was a server with me. And I'll and I'll never forget. I was very I'm very, I'm a hard worker. I see things through 100. percent I'm all in. Whatever I'm doing right now is the most important thing I'm supposed to be doing, and I'm not letting other things in my life affect what's going on in front of me now. I just, I, I, I strive for it. Is it always 100%? Not necessarily. But when I'm working, when I'm on the clock, it is all about doing my best job there and worrying about outside life when I get outside. Because in the moment, taking care of those tables, stressing out about a test tomorrow isn't going to benefit me making money at my tables now. And I can't just stop and start reading my flashcards in this moment. So if I'm only half in it, 
the, the waiting of tables in this moment because I'm thinking about studying. I'm not giving 100% either. And then later on when I'm studying, half of my brain's thinking about how I could have done a better job at work and maybe it cost me $50 in tips. So I was always in the job in the moment. And this one particular guy, he'd get super lazy and he'd, he'd stop doing his side work. He'd st- he, w- he would be in the back on his phone. He'd be doing whatever he was doing. And he would not be paying attention to his tables. And I'll never forget what he said to me. One day we were arguing about work ethic and he's like, I, he's like, I will have the work ethic I want whenever I graduate and I get the job that I'm here to get. And it made me in my head come up with this saying that work ethic is not something that you can turn off and on like a light. You either have it or you don't. And you can work toward having more of it, but you don't just flip a switch and immediately change your behaviors. A, f- a football team who's sucking it up for three straight quarters doesn't just get to flip on a light and immediately make up for 28 points. Each play has to move them toward a position where now they've scored 28 points in a row and held the other team to zero. But you don't just snap your fingers and immediately come from 28 down to tied. It doesn't work that way. I have no doubt the work ethic I saw in this man back in the day was something that he carried on throughout his entire life unless he actively sought ways to make it better. Because no matter how much of your dream job, you can't wait to get there. And when you get that dream job, you're going to totally change and you're going to be 100% in it and you're going to wake up early and you're going to get there on time and you're going to do the extra effort and you're going to succeed, 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 succeed. Then the issue happens is you get there, it's your dream job until one day it just becomes your job. Living in Los Angeles, I literally knew photographers who took pictures of supermodels and for Playboy and for those magazines. And I remember thinking, man, that must be a great job to be a dude who gets to take pictures of scantily clad women all day. And this is a younger version of me who thought this. but and, I mean, and then I would talk to them and be like, dude, after a while, it's, just, it's a job and you get tired of it and you don't want to go in. I remember thinking, man, if a photographer of supermodels can get tired of their job, then any job can be tired of at some point. And apologies if you think that this reference is sexist, but I'm just discussing something that very much blew my mind, right? Like we've all seen the covers of the, of the swimsuit models, right? There's somewhere out there, there's people taking pictures of these Instagram models. At some point, it's just a job. So if you can get tired of a job that every 13-year-old boy thinks is the best job on the planet, then any job can become a job and just become the way you pay your bills. I know people who are professional photographers who do landscape, and I think, man, that must be amazing. You get to go to the most beautiful places on the planet and take pictures, and they're like, oh my God, it was exhausting. The trip sucked. Yes, the moment I took that picture, it was worth it, but everything to get there sucked. I wish I'd never turned my hobby into my profession. Now let's go back to this server R at Bonefish. He thinks he's just going to magically walk into his job and immediately be the best version of himself and be the best employee. But at some point, it's just going to become a job. And the dream job just becomes your normal life. And this is that hedonistic adaptation I've talked about in the past. Every human's brain at some point just normalizes whatever's happening around them. This is how people get deep into addiction and think that it's normal. If you took your first drink of beer and said one day you're going to be drinking 24 of these and waking up hungover and being mean and, and, and ruthless to people who love you and not caring about your own body, we'd laugh that person out of the room because we have no idea what it's going to take to get to that version of ourselves they're talking about. But if you're not mindful every single day of your drinking habits, one day you could end up there. Well, it works the same way with beneficial 
things in your life just as much as normal everyday things like taking care of your car or going to work on time. At some point, you're just going to normalize whatever's happening around you. So your dream job just becomes your job. And if you don't find a way to dedicate yourself to it and be the highest sense of self-directed version of you every single day, you're going to normalize things that you once were ecstatic to have in your life. And when you do that and you start to normalize those and you don't have gratitude for them, you don't go in there mindful to be the best version of yourself, then you start to create that habit of just a blasé mindset. Well, whatever. It's just work. It's just work. No big deal. I'll, I'll try harder tomorrow. And the more you say tomorrow, 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 the more deeply you grind that groove into your record that says, I can just be whatever I want to be today. I'll fix it tomorrow. And then before you know it, you've stacked 10,000 tomorrows on top of each other. And now the behavior you're not really thrilled about is so deeply embedded into you, it's going to take you years to break through it. Be who you want to be in the future now. Be kind, be loving, be giving, be those positive attributes that you know you have inside yourself now. Waiting until you're 70 or 80 to become a philanthropist when that's what you really want to be doing now is, is sounds miserable to me because then you're holding yourself back from what you really want to get into, from what you really could love. You're spending all of this time holding back your true highest sense of self version for the promise of tomorrow. And the more you say tomorrow, the less like you'll, I almost, it's like I had the most powerful line right there to finish the show with. The more you say tomorrow, the less likely you are to create it today. And even less likelier that it happens tomorrow. Who are you while you're getting there? Make that your focus over this holiday season. Ask yourself, who are you being now? Who do you want to be then? How can you become that version of yourself now? There are infinite tomorrows, but there's only one today. And today is the day you will start making that change. As always, my friends, it is a pleasure and honor to have you here. If you'd like to know more about how to get in touch with this material, DM me at Jesse Mogul on Instagram or email me jesse at jessemogul.com. Please, by all means, if you'd like to be more involved with this, stand up, step forward, raise your hand. I will call on you. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Have a happy holiday season. We'll see you again soon. Bye-bye. 